Well, <clears throat> shall we introduce ourselves? Yeah. Um, okay. You want to go first? Okay. My name is Jennifer Byrne. You can call me Jen. You can call me Jenny. I am the district manager of the White River Natural Resources Conservation District in Vermont. Um, we cover Orange and some of Windsor County and a town or two in Addison County and a town in Rutland County. <laughs> it's uh, shaped that way because we're based on a watershed, um, not a county. So I'm going to talk a lot about conservation districts on this spot. I can tell. I love conservation districts. I think they're awesome um, and everyone should know about them. So that's part of why we're here. That's but. really the main reason why we're here. <laughs> but, okay. Miss Erin. Yeah, so my name is Erin Shaw. Mm -hmm. I am the Research and Technical Assistance Coordinator for Vermont Professionals of Color Network. Um, and I'm really new to the position, but it's been really interesting to kind of hear what BIPOC folks are saying about the state and just some things that we need to work on. In general, in general, we all have work to do. Yeah. That's good. Why do we start a podcast? Why do we do it? What was the purpose? There's just so many things that people don't know about, and we want to be able to share information and resources with people, I think, on like a such an array of topics. Yeah. Right? Because it's really hard to go out, like we're all really busy and like trying to research certain laws, certain things that are happening. And Jen and I's job is to like research a lot of things already. <laughs> and so we just want to share them. All about yeah. <laughs> we just want to like share all the things that we feel like are important to everyday people mm -hmm. um, and how they can make change in situations they didn't even know were possible. So yeah, that's what kind of came out of the podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah, we did it. <laughs> so here we are. And this is like a one-stop shop to hear about all kinds of things. I feel like anytime Aaron and I get together and start talking, we're sharing all these resources with each other. And then part of our jobs is to get the word out. Mm -hmm. So this pod can be just another avenue for us to share information with the public yeah. with you all. Cause and there's so many things that people just don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Like how important rulemaking really is. Ooh, I love rulemaking. I'm going to say it. I think it's more important than voting. It is. <laughs> I do think that. I'm, I mean, take I mean, it voting is will. also important. So of let's course. not, of but rulemaking, I mean, obviously it's like making the rules people. <laughs> so it's just as important. Um, cause it really doesn't matter who is in office if you know about rulemaking cause you can shake some things up, but yeah, yeah, that's permits, commenting on permits. Yeah. So that, that public comment, you know, they put it at the very bottom, right? So you got to scroll to the they bottom of the page. Not. Yo, that's, that's my tip <laughs> and the pod. That's the tip. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the government websites. Seriously, you and have you will to. find everything you need. <laughs> and it's small. Yeah. Get your magnifying glass because you're going to need it. They make it super tiny because they have to put it on their website. It's, but guess what? It doesn't matter how big or small. Yeah. That little small disclaimer, like. It's important. It's yeah. important. So we're just going to read some of the fine print. Yeah. Like, let us blast. know. Like mm -hmm. if you want us. If you want to know something, mm -hmm. we will go find that fine print. Mm -hmm. We enjoy going down rabbit holes of the, of the government. Now, neither of us are lawyers. Nope, we're not. We both have degrees in law. We do. But we're not. No, I leave that lawyers. to the other people. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to talk about all kinds of topics, though. I mean, certainly agriculture, the environment but also housing, transportation, yeah, like economy. Yeah, the economic development piece, because that's what I really focus a lot on with my job is like just trying to find business resources and services, mainly for BIPOC individuals. Um, 
that are like, I want to start a business, already have a business, but I don't know where to go. Um, are these people BIPOC friendly? So that's because we are in the, you know, second whitest state in the country. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's really important to know, like, if you are moving to Vermont as a BIPOC person or you are living in Vermont as a BIPOC person, like knowing where to go um, is extremely important because... Like I said, it is a second whitest state and everyone isn't the friendliest. Yeah. And it's really about being neighborly. It like is. We're, we're trying to be good neighbors out here. Good stewards. Spread That's the it. wealth. Good stewards. Share the like most accurate information we can with the most people yeah. possible. So yeah. So you guys don't have to go out and find it. like Because mm-hmm. a lot of this we already do anyway. So we just kind of want to share that that wealth of knowledge we have. We love our neighbors. We do. We love people. <laughs> Aaron and I were neighbors. We Maybe were. that's how this is. <laughs> That's how it kind of started. It was the hikes. It was the hikes, for sure. Being in nature and realizing like, hey, people need to know how certain things work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and how to get involved, how to like be a part of decision-making, because that is constant. Yeah, it's like it's not every four years in the voting booth. I'm no, sorry, y'all, no, it's and it I happens it year round, easy. and it's, it's not just during sessions. Like mm-hmm. it's really before session and after session is where like a lot of this stuff happens, mm-hmm. and just session is like if they decide to vote on it or not. So that's another thing I'm excited about for this podcast is like keeping tabs on certain types of new laws that are being passed in. Specifically Vermont, we might we jump might. over the river. We might. We might. Go to New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, we wa- <laughs> we want to do right by New Hampshire. So if we can't go into it thoroughly. Yeah. It may be more like local mm-hmm. New Hampshire. Because mm-hmm. um, if you're not familiar, mm-hmm. um, Vermont and New Hampshire are really like, it's just a river that divides us. Mm-hmm. My backyard is Vermont. I mean, no, it's New Hampshire. My yeah. front yard is Vermont. <laughs> so technically, it depends on, but I just want a fun fact. New Hampshire owns the Connecticut River. So fact. if it ever dried up, Vermont then owns New Hampshire. So I just want you guys to know that. <laughs> if it ever dries up, ask New Hampshire about it. <laughs> ask them what happened. <laughs> yeah, that is true. As soon as you hit the uh, hit the water, you're in New Hampshire. Exactly. Yeah. In between the states. Yep. So yeah. So literally, when I touch the water in my backyard, I'm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. It's this is going to be a fun podcast just because we have a lot of things we want to talk about. A lot of things that are broken. That was the whole point of the podcast to talk about the broken things that we see on a day to day basis that we believe can be fixed. They can. I'm sorry. Anything that is broken can be fixed with the enough minds on the problem. Like we just need more people, more minds. That's what I believe. Cause I feel like we all kind of want the same thing, but we're all trying to do it differently and we're just not working together to get it done. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, let's just work together. People <laughs> teamwork. It really mm-hmm. does make the dream work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if we want to like a vibrant Vermont where more younger folks are moving here mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily what they consider a dying state. Right. Yeah. And that our elders are able to live here comfortably, like it, at any income level. And, you know, they're not living in poverty because we see a lot of that too. Even with, yeah, I work with a lot of farmers and a lot of the older farmers are really struggling. Yeah, and you know, COVID did not help the this environment here. Um, it actually brought more people with wealth to Vermont. We're, yeah, and the Upper Valley as a whole. Um, so the cost of living yeah. is definitely not the same as it was a couple of years ago. Um, but hey, you get the amenities of the environment. <laughs> Clean air. Clean air. Pretty clean water. Yep. Um, Depending. Nice hikes. Beautiful scenery. So 
I do think more people should come visit at least. If nothing else, come see mm-hmm. Vermont. Not in winter. <laughs> Not in April. This is coming from the Southern girl. Yeah, coming from. <laughs> if I you mean, ski. If you want to ski, uh, yeah. But yeah. if you want to try it, come. Sure. For sure. Um, definitely don't come in April. Mud season. Mud season. <laughs> Which is a thing. We know this. I learned about it when I moved here. I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> yep. There's six yeah. seasons in Vermont. Six? Yeah. I thought it was just five. Well, it's the four and mm-hmm. then mud season and then stick season. When like everything, it's we're about to go into stick season. Oh yeah, that's true. It's just like Guys, we have six. Top that. <laughs> <laughs> Come experience Vermont. Yes. Um well, we have lots of topics. We do. So what topic do we want to start with first? Actually, like what if people don't know what a conservation district is? Like what, what, how would they figure out what it is and what it does? Well, we have a long history. So conservation districts have been around for over 80 years. <clears throat> we were kind of born out of the Dust Bowl. And if people don't know what the Dust Bowl is, it's when the settlers moved west in this country and they started farming, but they were like really intensively farming and they were ripping up all the deep rooted grass that used to exist out west and replacing it with plants like wheat. Um, Now it's mostly corn um, and really scrubby, scrubby grass that's not... um, native to that area so they've replaced it with like european seeds they were like oh we don't like this grass we want our grass that we're used to so what happened was it basically stripped the ground of all its protection and there started to be very dusty and the dust was blowing i mean i think a lot of people know about the dust bowl um hopefully but the dust was blowing like so intensely you could it was like dusty in washington dc it was so dusty um from all the all the way west um people couldn't see it was like in their homes it was like a horrible horrible event and out of that the united states department of agriculture recognized the issue was um, really like they had to focus on conserving the soil. They were losing all this topsoil um, really quickly. And so first they started doing, they kind of developed what we know today as soil science. And they started doing soil explorations and they formed the soil erosion service um, out of the soil survey office and from the soil erosion service, they formed the soil conservation service, (laughs) which then changed over time into what's now known as the natural resources conservation service. So that's part of the federal government. Um, And that exists all across the country. There's field offices all across the country for any farmer or land steward or landowner um, who wants money from the government to, to really help them with, with their conservation problems um, or needs. And so at the time, the USDA folks knew that they didn't know enough about the local community to make decisions for that community. So they established this idea of these democratically run local conservation districts which um, are not a part of the federal government. They were part of their subdivisions of the state government. So they're kind of like county government. They're kind of like a watershed government. Um, And so I always quote this line from the USDA website when I'm describing districts. And it's like USDA managers at the time realized that the only way to implement conservation on a bigger scale is to establish democratically organized soil conservation districts to lead conservation planning at the local level. So what they did was um, they developed this sample law, this sample state law that they shipped out to all the states that said form conservation districts. This is how they'll be formed. You need like 25 landowners within an area to come together and petition their state to form a district. 
Um, this happened, this wound up happening across the entire country. So all 57 United States and territory and its territories have formed conservation districts. Um, and basically, yeah, we're like, we're local, locally led. We have, we have five supervisors that lead our each district and there's an election every single year for one of our district supervisors. Um, I could go on and on and on and on. I don't know when to stop. (laughs) Okay. So every time we're going to do, you know, we're going to introduce ourselves. Maybe we'll share a little bit more about our organization so we can grow the literacy of our audience. Cause there's so much to share about our organizations, but as you know, conservation districts I could ramble all day and I don't want to do that every pod <laughs> so I'll just give a little taste <laughs> each time <laughs> a little blurb, a here, little and blurb there. here and there about how awesome districts are but we're definitely going to have a main topic of each each yeah. each time and that could range from all those topics we listed housing transportation development and, agriculture yeah. environment and the good thing is they all intertwine yeah so that's nothing's in a silo now. So we're going to definitely share resources. Yeah, that's I mean, that's like my that's honestly what I do on a day to day basis mm-hmm. is I share resources um, that could be financial resources. That, mostly. that could be. Yeah, mostly is financial resources mm-hmm. for business development and economic development. Um, it could also be information opportunities. Yeah. Um, so even probably sharing like networking um, opportunities, if you do have a business and you just don't know, you know, how to get the word out there. Um, I'll also share like conferences that are for small business. Um, I'll also like put my email somewhere. So if you are a BIPOC person, you can reach out. If you're not, I mean, I can still like help you. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I'll definitely be sharing resources about agriculture programs and environmental programs. Um, there's all kinds of things to share and deadlines that are coming up. Um, so we'll be yeah, because that like the one thing I've noticed is like we get like grant applications like the week they're due. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To then share out with everyone. So, and I know that's extremely overwhelming for people mm-hmm. who are like, I need money. Um, so I get like a big part of my job is also helping people to fill out grant applications and, here. Yeah, and loan applications. So mm-hmm. if you need that type of assistance, like I'm available to yeah. either help you by phone, like Zoom or even like in person. Um, and my position is statewide. So nice. I'm able to travel to you or if you would like to travel to me you can do that too but yeah I don't mind to go to different parts of the state yeah yeah and I would say well while my position is not statewide there are conservation districts statewide so if you're looking for help with grant applications contact your local district yeah and if you don't know how then Mm -hmm. Jen can put you in direction with definitely um, what else do we want to do at every pod? Broken things. Broken things, yeah. We're pretty excited about this content. Maybe, can you explain <laughs> broken things? So I'm going to like tell you the story of how broken things came about. <laughs> so one day, Jen and I, I don't know if we were hiking or at the river or possibly both. I don't know. <laughs> In between. In between. Uh, we were talking about all the things. I think she was talking to me about conservation districts and I'm not that like, I don't know anything about them. Everything mm-hmm. I've learned has been through Jen. Um, but I think she was talking about like working land one time <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and how broken that system is. And then I was just talking about like resources for like people moving to the state and how broken those things are. And we have a list of things that are broken um, that can be fixed. Like, And a lot of the things that can be fixed are really easy. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't take a whole lot. It would just take people being on the same page. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we came up with all these things that are broken and why we think that they're important and should be fixed. And the thing is like, if they are fixed, it can solve like housing, transportation, agriculture, 
business services. It's worth it. Life. It can change life you and know, generations. Honestly, to the that we started that list after the flood. So in yeah. July, like most yeah. people who are, you know, from Vermont know that there was a really horrible flood. Really, yeah. And in I was boots on the ground. July this year. Yeah. And we started just seeing how things did not make sense. Certain things, um, the way money flows to people across the board, across all these topics, just there are these barriers that seem really pointless. Just they're there because people who happen to be writing those policies for the programs just don't have a complete picture of all the other programs and how they all work together and what barriers people are facing. And that's why I believe very strongly in consulting the people who are impacted by policy when you're building policy. Yeah, so you, important. You have to ask the people what they need mm-hmm. and how you can help them. Like, Yeah, start there. That's the biggest thing because we write policy and it's people who that write the policy, they've never experienced the yeah. life and they're writing policy based on what they think mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. should need without just being like, mm-hmm. hey, so how can we help you? Can you tell us what you need? Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a simple question. Like, yeah. what do you need? And how can we make things better? Um, yeah, I was in Montpelier like every day almost mm-hmm. after the flood, um, helping BIPOC people. And like one person I helped, they they had lost $80,000 worth of food. And there was just not enough resources to like regain and everything was a loan with an 8% interest rate. And I don't think people realize like COVID also just happened. And so they're also rebuilding from COVID. Lest we forget. So it's like one of those things of like, oh yeah, an 8% interest loan is nothing. And it's Mm -hmm. like, but it's a lot, actually, even 5%. Like most people I was hoping was like, I could do a 2% interest loan. Um, and realizing like a lot of it, you needed a great credit score. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just throwing like a lot of BIPOC people don't have the best credit. Um, and so, yeah, they're even when it came to like immigrants, they expected them to have a nice credit history and that there's no credit in a lot of these countries. How? And so a lot of them were just like left to dry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of landlords in Montpelier were like, oh, if you can't figure it out, then just leave. Don't come back. And so it was just really hurtful because that's their livelihood. And. I'm glad that the state did say, okay, we need grants. And they did, you know, do a grant process. But I think like the average grant was like Mm $20,000. And most of like everyone that helped, they needed at least $135,000. And so that's $115,000 just missing out there. Yeah. So struggle. Broken things. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So yeah, that was, but it was also a great time to see like, even though a lot of their spirits were broken, they were really trying and how like the community kind of gathered, like the BIPOC community gathered together. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are still suffering from the flood. And I, I think that's really important for people to know, like it may look better in Montpelier and a lot of these like, some places that got hit, we didn't even talk about. Yeah. Um, I'd love to bring some people in from Barry. Mm-hmm. Talk there, about Barry. There's actually a guy in Barry um, who, like, landlord was like, you have to leave and wouldn't even let him go back in the house and get his medication. Mm-hmm. And the doctors wouldn't refill his medication because they're like, we just filled it. Um, so he's kind of left to dry. So, yeah, it's just a lot of broken things that that we see are happening. Um, And I feel like if we don't start to fix these things, we're going to see like a bigger opioid crisis. 
Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. Whatever this one. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop. Okay, so on every pod, another goal we have besides kind of going in deep on a main topic, sharing resources, talking about broken things. Um, We want to also have like almost like a call in or like a hotline or like a email list, like for people to submit their own broken things. Yes. As you notice things that don't work in your government and your experience, you can share those with us and maybe we can like sniff them out a little bit. Yeah, we can. We can do some research and then talk about it. And we also want guests to come on our podcast. Definitely to, guests. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, and all types of guests mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to tell like their stories, their broken things, mm-hmm. um, things that they found in the state to maybe that have helped or not have helped. Yeah. Lawmakers, mm-hmm. people who work at agencies, people who work at local businesses, Farmers, just community members. Um, some homeless people will be here too, hopefully, mm-hmm. to kind of talk about what could be done mm-hmm. since we're making decisions without, I don't know, talking to them. Yes, yeah. that's, that's really important. What do you need? What do you, like? That's like a really easy question to be like. So, what do you need? Right. Right. And then everybody can filter that answer through their own purview. Yeah. Like, what do you work on and how can you address those needs? You know, no one person's going to solve everything. Yeah. Like, have you started to work on the needs? Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a feeling that everyone's needs are going to be about the same no matter what. We all have basic human needs. And housing is one of them. Yeah. Food. <laughs> Like that's we're thing. definitely going to be talking about food, food, and the way that like we're talking about food now in in this region and with our conservation district and with a lot of our partners is really thinking about famine protection, thinking long term. We saw during COVID how our food system struggled, like our global food system almost was shut down, and thankfully. Vermont has a pretty strong local food system and there actually was, we were, we were sort of in an, a period of abundance there for a little bit. Um, it also was pretty scarce, like if you were going to the grocery stores, but if you had a relationship with your local farmer, you know, they were sold out. They were selling out with their meat, like the, the processing facilities were backed up, like they couldn't sell their local meat quick enough to meet the demand. So like, although we had a, a robust system, it was also maxed out like at capacity. So we need to really invest in our local food system. Mm-hmm. And then also think about the future in terms of like, this, this could happen again. I mean, we saw during the flood though, mm-hmm. like a lot of farmers lost produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, the flood impacted a lot. Mm-hmm. of agriculture and it still is impacting a lot of mm-hmm. agriculture. I've seen people like say, I'm not going to ha- meet harvest because it rained too much. And it's such a difficult thing with, with the farmers kind of quantifying damage because a lot of them just don't know until it's time to harvest what their losses are. So it's really been, there's so many challenges that farmers face, but so I guess how could someone like volunteer or get more involved in the conservation district if they don't want to be a farmer or in Ooh. the the whole ag like realm? Like what if they're new to it like I was? Yeah. Well, we have really a really exciting opportunity right now that um, we're partnered with Northern Forest Foods. And actually, this isn't a volunteer this position. This is actually a potential paid work. Um we are promoting the hunt for the hickory. So basically um, we've identified a bunch of hickory trees and hickory, we're going to talk, probably we'll bring on the nut, the nut nut guys, (laughs) the nutty professors. And we're going to have them come in and talk about the hickory tree, I'm sure. But um, the hickory tree is 
very abundant already in our forests and in our really like the field edges, even in people's yards. Um, there's hickory trees all over the place um, throughout this whole region and honestly throughout the whole East Coast. And um, it's akin to having like olive trees everywhere. So hickory nuts produce a delicious cooking oil um, and it has a really high smoke point. It's like higher than olive oil. Um, it's, yeah, it's very yummy. Y you can You can eat it. I poured it on my key lime pie. That's what I tell everyone. It was that good. Fancy. It tasted like okay. what you would think pecan oil would taste like. It was mm. so delicious. And it's incredibly abundant. It's in our wood, it's in our backyards right now. All we have to do is pick the nuts up. <laughs> they fall on the ground and you just need to pick them up and put them in a bucket. And um, through this this partnership that we're running, we pay $5 a gallon. So like a five gallon bucket, you get 25 bucks, um, which like if you're, as you get more experienced, you can make, it could be like $25 an hour kind of on average. Um, so yeah, we're launching that this year. So it's, that's, that's sort of the immediate opportunity. If you want to get involved in your local food system, contact us at the conservation district and we're going to have an event I believe on September 30th. So if this comes out before then, please come. Um, come. We'll probably have a couple harvesting events um, around these these trees that we've already identified. And then it's really like people can go out on their own. They don't have to come to our events. They can just go out and if they collect nuts, um, just bring them to you They'll guys. get paid for them. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we'll, we're just trying to like jumpstart the hickory nut oil industry because it could really like think about replacing olive oil. That's a huge market. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I use. That's what I use. Yeah. I would switch to hickory oil if I could. If I could. Yeah. Um, so going back to, hmm, I guess my interest has been if we, like the environment is extremely important. Like, generations like you know want my kid and kid kids and on down that line to be able to live in like a healthy environment and to um, eat to eat I don't want my kid or my grandkids to be hungry yeah so um gosh just thinking like 50 years which is not not a lot not a long time we may not have good food yeah I mean we're already making like lab-grown meat um, that the FDA has approved, but they haven't approved CMOS, but that is for another time. <laughs> you know, I had my CMOS this morning. <laughs> that is for another time <laughs> because broken things right there. That is a broken thing. I don't know if we can take on the FDA. I, I, I refuse. <laughs> um, what I am going to say, if anyone hasn't watched this on Netflix, please watch Painkiller. Um, it will mm. tell you everything you need to know about mm. the FDA. <laughs> <laughs> Which, why is the FDA doing food and drugs? I don't know. Right. Just think about it. <laughs> food is medicine. And drugs are drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's really a broken thing. Um, but anyways, and also, I don't know if people know this. Anybody can go lobby at the state house you do not have to be a fancy person um, mm -hmm. with the degree like, like your taxes pay for them you can go there's the agenda is online and you can go and you find what you like and you can go in and sit on it and they can't tell you to leave yeah it's an open door it's an open door i mean it doesn't feel open door because they don't really advertise that anyone can come in <laughs> But it is a very open door policy um, and you can go in and you can listen to what, you know, the officials are saying um, and you can write notes and you can actually email them you can call them. I love sending a note through the little the no <laughs> courier. What do they call that? Someone I don't like this. Like <laughs> you can send a note. Real time. Real time. As they're sitting in their little conference room, you mm -hmm. can send your legislators a note. No, yep, yep. Direct. 
direct note. And they run it upstairs to them and they hand it to and them. They, yep. And so I think that's really important if people really start going to that, they, they'll be more informed. Um, that's a really important thing in terms of like informing the decision makers. And right now, let's just talk about lawmakers, like our, le- our elected legislators in the Senate and the House of Representatives in Vermont. They don't have staff. They have nobody who's going to like do research for them, who's going to like, you know, inform them about like read the laws for them and let them know like it's all on the legislators to do all that work themselves. And it's a super part time position. Um, They only meet between January and May. And it's really up to us, the people to inform them. And that's why lobbyists kind of have a lot of power. They in do the state, like whoever's in the ear of your lawmaker is the person informing them the most. So, mm-hmm. so get, I get encourage you ears. to go like mm-hmm. and meet with them. Like that's, that's part of their job yep. is to meet with them. They appreciate it. And they do. Um, I know a really cool one, I know a really cool state rep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We might have her on. We will. I'm sure we will. We will. Um, but I'd really do encourage people to go to session hearings, voice their opinions. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, then it's really hard for things to change because they're just going by what they see yeah. and not what they've heard from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we all get really disappointed in certain laws. Yeah. And it's like we actually had a really big say so. So public comment, I don't, y'all, it's important. <sighs> It is extremely important. Like, I'm going to stress that one out one more time. Like music to my ears. Public comment. (laughs) Yeah. Is extremely important. And it's not the easiest thing. Like, we recognize that, that it's like, I understand why people don't do it. Comment, but. And then a lot of times you don't even know when to comment. Because like I said, it's at the bottom of the page. <laughs> they, But also, if you don't comment, you're actually, in most cases, waiving your right to sue under that law or request a hearing relating to that permit. Um, so you, like we're waiving our rights daily mm-hmm. at the state and federal level. Yeah. And we don't even know it. Um. So yeah, um, we'll we'll be promoting rules as they come up. Like we'll yeah. definitely be keeping track of the rules portal. Yeah, and if there's certain like things you want us to kind of look into, mm-hmm. we will. We like policy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Says no one ever. <laughs> but it's really interesting to just see. I mean, it governs us obviously. Yeah. So it, it is an important thing that we should all know. Um, we'll do a whole pod on rulemaking. I'm sure whole and pod to it. Go, yeah. And it. even probably bring a guest on that one that yeah. can kind of talked about the administrative procedures act. Hey guys, I'm going to tell you <laughs> things you don't want to know, but you need to know, need to know. like yeah. what we'll get into like we'll the whole work and land thing. Jen's going <laughs> to dive into it. Mine will be blown. I just want to de-silo things so that we can make better, more holistic decisions. Like, if especially if we're talking about the environment, it's got to be a holistic approach. It's got to be for everybody. For everybody, it's 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 not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for the elite, guys. It's mm-hmm. really sad. Um, we yeah. also want to. Maybe do like a did you know kind of portion, like oh, a, yeah. like just a brief little. Because Vermont has some weird laws. Yeah, like, we'll go into like the. And I don't even know why. Known <laughs> weird laws. People love that. There's some crazy laws out there, and it's just like insane. Do we need to adjust? If we start adjusting the weirdness of Vermont, <laughs> let's address this. Let's address the elephant. No, the giraffe on the pole, Vermont. Because what is that? It's illegal to tie a giraffe to a pole. It was, not anymore. Oh, okay, they changed that. Um, yeah, they changed that. You can always change things. You can See, you can always change things. 
but so yeah, we'll definitely do that just to keep it fun. Yeah, just to keep it because this is silly it could be, it could be heavy. Um, but you know, we also want to make this really interesting and informative at the same time, but also fun because when we talk about it, we we laugh a lot at things we probably <laughs> should not laugh at. But you know what? Sometimes you have to laugh so you don't cry or get angry. So you know. Being black in Vermont is it's weird, man. It's a weird one. It's it's a weird state. It's so weird. In general. I mean, I, I there's so much I appreciate about it. I'm not from Vermont. Me either. Neither of us are from Vermont. Full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, we're transplants. There's yeah. there's foreigner. definitely stuff. We're <laughs> foreigners to this land, but aren't most of us are. Um yeah. and of course there's beautiful things. And I have a lot of hope. When I'm here, like, there's a lot of, like, hopeful stuff and potential, you know. Vermont has, I think, they're trying, and I can't Mm -hmm. say that about every state. I can honestly say Vermont is really trying to, are they doing it the right way? I don't know. Mm. Um, I think if they listen to the people that they are actually trying to help, things would work better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yet again, they're not asking the folks, what do you need and how we can help? It's basically, we're going to do this anyway. And then we're going to ask you for help after it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) We've spent so much money on trying to do the thing and it did not work. And now we're back at square one. So I'm taking notes as you're speaking, because when you say that, it makes me think of so many different (laughs) Laws. <laughs> so it's like, like oh, we're going to touch on this one. We're going to touch this on this law, one. Yeah. This so law. it's like, just yeah. bring it to light because a lot of them are, you know, a lot of things happening with really good intentions, but without like coalition or community behind it, it's just bound to fail. Like, so we, yeah, we got to listen to folks. Like it's get behind the community. We all want the same things. I, I, I really do think most people, we all want to live in a peaceful environment. Yeah, we all course. want like, you know, to be Ample able to food. afford, you know, like our basic necessities, yep. have food. Like mm-hmm. we all want that, but I feel like yep. we're trying to achieve it very differently mm-hmm. and not work as a collective. And so since we're not working as a collective, the plan isn't going as planned. Um. But yeah, I can I can say as a black person in Vermont, Vermont is actually trying. They could try, they could do things a little differently, um, most definitely. And you can still feel it, you know. You still feel the racism. Mm. They just don't tell you they're racist. It would be, it would be I would much appreciate like hey I just and you're like oh, thank you, just come out and say it. Yeah, Alabama they let you know it. Like, mm. you know, but Vermont they're like oh my gosh, it's Black Lives Matter. Microaggressions coming in three. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, and it's, hopefully by like, if we can lift up people's stories and just raise awareness about like what it means when you say this type of thing to listen, like that's the easiest thing. Mm-hmm listening just hear yeah what people like actually really listen yeah. to what they are saying like if someone is saying you hurt their feelings take a step back and be like could i have approached that differently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's all you just have to hear people out i mean even though you may not agree i don't agree with like 70 percent of things but i i hear them out and i try to do my best so they feel heard. Um, and then I can also work on myself. Um, but yep. I think that's the, that's the thing. We're not really listening to people. We're just doing right what we think they want. And that's a broken thing. It's like a toxic relationship. <laughs> that, my friends, is a broken thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. well... Yeah, well, that's um, like the gist of um, the intro, which intro to the pod, intro to the pod, the broke pod, <laughs> broken Vermont. Hmm, there's a double meaning to that. That is broken Vermont. Hmm. That that really is E N or I N. 
I am broke in Vermont. But like one word. One word. Because a lot of us are broke in Vermont. <laughs> a lot of us can relate to this. <laughs> On a real Literally, level. Yeah. Like how many did, people do you know that have three jobs? Me. <laughs> it's just the Vermont hustle. About to have four. Yeah. So it's getting there. It's like, how many jobs do you? I work three, basically full time jobs. But the good thing is they're all the same. They all like they all coexist. Yeah, they, so mm-hmm. it makes life easier because mm-hmm. I do research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. And but we, most people work multiple jobs. Yeah, in, have to. Like the average person in Vermont works multiple jobs, and if they don't, they actually are in need of another job, mm-hmm. and it may not work with their schedule. So that's that's a thing. Um, yeah, and definitely, I want somebody from the heating oil standpoint. Like, why is heating oil so much? <laughs> Are there alternatives to heating oil? Yeah. That's what we need to break down. And th- we could go in on this. They just passed this clean heat standard law that was extremely controversial for it, different reasons. Yeah. Um, so we could maybe bring in different perspectives on that. I think a lot of people Also, let's talk about this EV. These, these Yeah, that's a thing. I don't know if I can contain myself if we go there. <laughs> Y'all might see the Jersey side of me come out. Because <laughs> we need, you know, more electrical vehicles to clean your immediate air, not everyone else's Here's air. Thing. <laughs> your air. Here's the thing. Your air. We needed electric vehicles 15 years 40 ago. years ago. Do we need them now? I mean, it's like good for you. If you can afford an electric vehicle, I'm happy for you. I'm so glad that you have cleaner air in, in, your, your, in your driveway. In your vicinity. Please know that. Like it That's is the ultimate. Like Everyone would need. Talking about distribution of environmental burdens and environmental benefits. You yeah, you get a tax credit. Own. You get you a little you good. benefited. You know your own personal environment. Well, side note: Tesla's about to decrease like the cost of their car, so I you wonder can how get they a, do that. Maybe so you can get a tax break, <laughs> so you can qualify for the tax incentive. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. like forget about China, like their air. You know, like break, making all these brand new cars. I um, mean, that's not in our backyard, right? <laughs> Never That's mind. a real thing. That's not Vermont, so I shouldn't care about it. You shouldn't care about it. I mean, you know, we also shouldn't care that our iPhones aren't. Never mind. Anyway, never mind. We might turn people off with some of this I stuff, never, but it's 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 really it's really, really true. Real. Like, I just you know the whole thing with Vermont trying to go electric by twenty thirty, y'all. I can't even afford an electric bill. We need to have a whole pod about that because that was like a whole rulemaking thing that happened and we worked on getting different perspectives and it was very interesting, the response to the perspectives that we helped drum up and submitted legitimate comments on that rule that were saying this actually doesn't help low-income people, it doesn't help immigrants, it isn't going to help Anybody. The air, it's, even. It's, it's it, so negligible. Um, the batteries that your EV car are made out of. It's like a thing. It's it's like I, one of I those wish, diversions. Like, we are making a cleaner environment. And it's like, are we? Because everything's still wrapped in plastic. We need to talk about plastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. <laughs> I will just yeah. There's so much to say. Everything, yeah. Every, you know, recycling's fake. It, it is. It's, it's kind of always been fake, but especially since the pandemic and post-Trump, like it really doesn't happen, y'all. There is. It no goes plastic to the recycling. same landfills as your trash. And before that, it was just going to China and being burned as fuel. So it was just becoming air pollution. There's no like. We melt the plastic and make a new plastic. It doesn't. It doesn't exist. Especially if you're doing single stream recycling where you just put everything in one bin. That It doesn't exist. That you have to actually separate it, which they don't tell you that. Um, everything that says it's recyclable actually is not. Mm-hmm. So just throw everything in the trash because it's all still going <laughs> to the same place. That's basically what I am saying. Um. 
And it's tough. And I feel like we should bring someone in to really talk about that and debunk some of the stuff because there are things like aluminum cans. It takes 500 times more energy to make a new aluminum can versus recycling an old aluminum can, like a soda can. So that, yeah, we should recycle those and make sure though that the supply chain is actually taking that can to a place where it's being recycled. Like that's the problem is we don't know. Like- you don't know so where whole, your stuff yeah, is going. That's a, yeah. a lot of it's going to the landfill. It, upcycle, mm-hmm. not recycle, guys. That's the real Glass. thing. You have to upcycle. Um, Glass can What does it reduce, reuse, recycle, whatever? Recycle comes last in that list. And it's supposed to come first. It's actually, actually, well, you, you have to reduce first. We have to reduce our consumption. By and, recycling, <laughs> which is fake. <laughs> no. <laughs> which is fake. No. These three R's are not. You do have to reduce and you are supposed to reuse. Yeah. 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 And then last case scenario, recycle it. Just upcycle, guys. It really works. You can upcycle a lot of things. You can reuse 90% of things if you know what you're doing. But that's also a thing like food waste. Yeah. So that's one of the things I wrote down because we need to talk about the Vermont like food waste law that passed because that's one of those laws where it's like, okay, so people had good intentions that were like advocating for this law, but there is no infrastructure to implement it. It's just now there's a law in the books that almost no one's following. So like everyone's breaking the law (laughs) that all your food waste, your food waste is not supposed to go to the landfill. Well, that's the first episode. We hope you're excited to hear more and we'll definitely be trying to keep it within 30 minutes I think like make these bite size topic by topic and um, we hope you tune in next time hopefully yeah it'll be fun though I think everyone's going to really enjoy this podcast it's going to be really fun because we have a lot of really fun things to talk about and a lot of fun resources to share Mm -hmm. um yeah, I guess we're going to set up social media soon so people can comment um, on yeah. things. And if you're really good in editing, let us know. Let us know. Yeah, please. An editing friend. We need, yes, a, a nice editing friend. <laughs> okay, so um, it's Aaron and Jen. Closing out. Closing out on the first ever The Broken Pod. <laughs> Name and workshop. <laughs> We're just going to keep throwing stuff out there. Yeah. We might just have a poll. Yeah. And people vote on the broken things. Broken Vermont. Bro- That's it, That's really. That's kind of good. That's kind of good. <laughs> broken. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. Have a good day, everyone. Have a good day. Yeah.